performance apparel remains a best-selling category. The challenge is to continue to add innovation while meeting growing demand for better quality, all of which comes down to not only more investment in R&D, but more strategic investment. I'm Jane Singer, and welcome to A Seat at the Table. Each week, I sit down with leading executives, entrepreneurs, educators, and authors who share their insights, experiences, and future vision for business. When it comes to performance, 511 Tactical is one brand where functional properties can actually be a matter of life or death. The brand's core products are purpose-built to support first responders whose work requires gear that provides wearers with safety, ease of movement, and endurance. Seeing the growing consumer demand for high-performance activewear, 511 Tactical parlayed the innovation developed for its professional gear into a collection aimed at adventure sports enthusiasts. In this episode, I sit down with Vivian Lee, Managing Director of 511 Tactical Sourcing, to hear about a new R&D center she's developing for the brand in Taiwan, why vendor relationships must be a two-way street, and how 511 is finding new global market opportunities for high-performance apparel. Before we get started, if you're looking to develop knitwear collections that will be best sellers both online and offline, then Spin Expo is the place to go. From trend information to technical innovation, Spin Expo is the primary exhibition for yarns and knitwear. The fair provides well-edited forums featuring high-quality products that are bursting with creativity. You can learn more at spinexpo.com. That's www.spinexpo.com. There's also a link in the show notes. And check out our website. You can find all of the Seat at the Table episodes, the show notes, news about our upcoming Masterclass series, and lots of other useful information there. You can find it at seat.fm. That's www.seat.fm. FM because it's a podcast. Now let's sit down with Vivian and hear about some of the exciting things that 511 Tactical is doing now. Vivian, I'm so excited to hear about some of the new ways that 511 Tactical is driving greater product innovation. Hey, Jen. Thank you for having me here. It's a great honor. Oh, it's great. I really appreciate your taking the time. I understand that 511 Tactical has recently set up an R&D center in Taiwan. What will be the focus of your research there? With the idea, it's really focused on our prototyping to begin with. Okay. Yes. And of course, in the long term, we are hoping this this R&D center can bring even more function to it. And the reason it's in Taiwan, it's because we have relied on a lot of resources in country. And also as we work a lot of functional material and Taiwan actually maintains a, a world leadership position in textile production in terms of uh, a lot of functional textile. And they really carve out as a niche in functional fabrics. So in view of that, we feel that would really help us to expedite our innovation and our ongoing development. In terms of Taiwan, what you're doing there now, you had said that you're focusing on prototyping. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? So traditionally, we rely on our vendors to turn the tech pack into the prototype. You are rely on a vendor and you really cannot take the driving for how you want your product to be developed in a sense. You can't really do trial, try and error. And with this facility really give us some advantage. We could bring our idea to it 
and we have our well-trained R&D center to work closely, collaborate with our designer and product development uh, team, and really work on fine-tune the product before we could bring it down to the development cycle. So in other words, what you're doing is you're enabling your team to have greater control throughout the development process because you have your own center there. Exactly. We used to have a small like a development center uh, at our head office, but what we try to do is to replicate that model and then put it in close to the uh, source and multiple the size of that development, the R&D center. That makes a lot of sense to be able to be closer to all those suppliers and then you can really work more collaboratively, but yet you have more control over it. Yes, that's really the uh, whole uh, purpose. And in terms of the prototyping, are you mainly working with 3D right now? Not yet. And with this R&D center, it could eventually become like a pioneer of this 3D you know, capability. So you could potentially start to pioneer some of that there, especially because Taiwan really has so many strengths, not just in obviously in fabric and fiber technology, but in so many other aspects of technology. That's for sure. So you could leverage many of the resources that Taiwan offers. Yes, and also be close to our vendors. A lot of our technical functional textile suppliers, they are actually Taiwanese. And that brings us a lot of opportunity to be close to the source, to be able to leverage their capability. That makes sense. What I didn't mention is we do have a lot of like in the supply chain in the area of man-made fibers, uh, manufacturing, weaving, spinning, dyeing, and finishing. You know, among others, there are a lot of great capability there we could really leverage. It's interesting because in Taiwan, at the very high end, the more complex technical textiles have still remained in Taiwan, and Taiwan still has a fairly big investment in that. Yeah, and also I believe there's still Taiwan, I think they account 70% of the world's output of functional fabric. Perhaps you can explain a little bit about the unique market niche that 511 Tactical has. 511 actually as a brand, we work directly with our end users to create purpose-built apparel for wear and gear and designed specifically for tactical professionals like a first responder, law enforcement. Right. Like we work directly with our end users to create purpose-built apparel gear designed specifically to enhance the safety, accuracy, speed, and performance for those technical professionals. And now, as the brand continues to outgrow itself, we see a lot of opportunity outside of these professional consumers. And from there, we try to expand our offering to greater civilians. So now you've taken some of those very unique properties and you've realized that some of those actually could be translated or reinterpreted into something that the consumer market or the civilian market would particularly find valuable. Our global audience is growing and we are attracting those who want to be prepared for life's uh, most demanding uh, missions. Like I say, during pandemic last year, 
it's an opportunity for us to take the time and truly evaluate our brand. The world was changing, and as 5.11 continued to grow, besides our professional audience, we see ourselves in a completely different place. Because what we realize is that you know, Faida has always built an incredible tactical brand that serves those who serve around the globe. But then over the course of last few years, we also have recognized that Faida is more than just a brand for, for professionals. We, we have the brand affinity to help the world to live on the always be ready mindset. I think that's really interesting because within what you might call the performance sector or the activewear sector, there's many competitors and a lot of the performance is quite similar that's being offered. So I think that because you're coming from this very niche sector, which is focusing on professional, what you call first responders and so forth, you're bringing interesting properties to the table. Definitely. And when we cross over the professional and the civilians market, we definitely try to keep our brand DNA. We don't try off our perform expectation. We build into our products. So in other words, the consumer version of the product still meets the same performance standards that the professional version does. And that's what makes our uh, brand and our product so unique. Now, when you're talking about some of the performance properties, what do you feel are some of this particularly unique properties? For example, our anti-snagging, because uh, we build our product, we purposely build them to be warm beneath a lot of gear carrier. Mm. And that goes with a lot of velcro, which then the performance of the snagging is truly important. That's such an important point because nowadays consumers are really expecting durability. I think that previously people would accept something that was not such great quality, but if they thought it looked trendy or the price was cheap, but nowadays there's such a priority on durability. And it also ties in with the whole concept of sustainability where people don't want to be turning over products so quickly that they buy. They want to be able to buy it and keep it for a while. That's for sure. It's really being field tested and we listen to our end user to what they need and we purposely build those features into it. When you're looking at adding this functionality, are you looking at it strictly from a fabric fiber point of view or are there things you're doing in terms of the garment construction? We do both. A lot of things we try to start with, with the uh, young, as early as uh, the young stage. And then we design um, the weaving, dyeing, finishing to it. And then in addition to that, you know, first on the garment, we have a lot of construction with a lot of functionality uh, to it. When you're looking at sourcing raw materials, what are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing these days? A lot of things, we start from just a small idea and then we have to go through the whole process to identify, you know, the young component, to find the right partner, you know, to work with us, to engineering how we weave the fabric. And it's very time consuming. And it could take us two to three years. Wow. Turn that idea into an actual product. And like uh, one of our most best-selling product 
our strike plan, the fabric development actually took us like three years to make it. Wow. So I think time is definitely a big challenge. When you are an innovator, you start your development as a earlier from the beginning, from you know, just a piece of paper. And then from there, then it's the turn time, the, the MOQ, you know, how, yeah, and get the partner to identify the right partner to work with us. And those are, I, I see it's uh, most challenging. And once you, you have those in place, then, you know, a lot of things like MOQ and other things, I think that's just uh, the matter of time. Once you form that uh, relationship, I think it's not as difficult. Yeah, absolutely. That relationship is so important. But I think it's interesting that you're pointing out the timeline that it takes in order from conception through bringing it to market for some of what you're working on. That's a very, three years is a long time. It's a very long time. And it happened to most of our professional products. And now, of course, from there, we extend to our civilian line, like our seasonal lines. We we want to build something from, from scratch. Right. And to come up with something, it's not available out there. And that's the uniqueness of our product. And that's also, I think, explain why 511 is so successful in the market nowadays. There are a lot of products that are, are very much look-alike products. So the fact that you've been able to develop something that's unique, and as you point out, to make it that unique, you really have to go all the way back to the fiber and to the yarn. Yes, exactly. And that's also why when we look at our uh, development calendar, most of our seasonal product we pretty much align with like other brand six months as a cycle. But with our professional product, then it goes beyond like a year. We call like a long or WIP. It could go beyond like a, a year or two years until we feel comfortable, and we feel like the product actually deliver the feature and the functionality we design for. Then we we will bring it to the market. That's a really impressive commitment to quality and innovation. Yes, it is. In terms of working with various suppliers and vendors, what ideally would you like vendors to do? Or what could they be doing better? How could they better support you? We typically keep our vendor base kind of lean and tight. And when we establish a relationship, we really look into a long-term commitment. So I give you the example, most of our vendors right now, who we work with, the, the relationship goes beyond. A lot of them actually been working with us from very beginning of the uh, brand being established. If they could be more flexible, more resilient, especially nowadays, the whole world is changing. A lot of time when we work with our vendors, of course, with the uh, well-established vendors, we know it's there's a long-term commitment. There's a strategic partnership there. What we definitely try to avoid is a transactional vendor. So in general, I think we look into the vendor who could really help us and bring idea to how to engineer the products and more collaboration during the design process to eliminate the waste and try to improve consistency during the manufacturing process. 
and maybe a little bit more automation. So in other words, more collaboration at the, the stage when we started our uh, development and our commercialization uh, process. And that would be a great you know, uh, contribution to this vendor uh, relationship. So we are looking really, like you said, for more end-to-end collaboration, more seamless integration. Yes. Yes, you say, you know, end-to-end collaboration. On the other hand, often I was thinking, like, why are we always asking, like, what we expect vendor to do better? And I think the world has changed, right? So when there's a good vendor out there, actually, they also expect, like, us as a customer to collaborate with them and to do, you know, our part. Yeah, that's a really great point of view because I think that so often we look at it from a point of view of what the vendor could do better. The onus always seems to be on the vendor. But at the same time, I think you're raising a very good question, which is perhaps the buying side needs to think about, are there things we could be doing differently that would enhance that relationship? And what we have been trying to do, I, I think during the pandemic, and this is what I have been reflecting, honestly, during the pandemic time, we are having a lot of tremendous uh, uh, support from our vendors. And at some point, I kind of reflecting like uh, we must have done something right to deserve. That's a very good point. (laughs) (laughs) True. And I feel like our approach, we try to keep a very transparent, like a dialogue and communication with our vendors. What we try to do is we bring our projection up front. You know, we tell our vendor exactly what's our monthly commitment. And through this whole pandemic, we still fulfilling our commitment. And I feel like we are doing our part. So that's why vendor were reacting in that certain way to give us that much of the support. And this is something I think as uh, this, like I say, time has changed. The vendor definitely is having the right to select who do they want to work with instead of in the traditional way, the customer actually demand vendor to work with them. And I see that shifting in the last years. And I, I strongly believe when we ask what vendor can do better, on the other hand, you know, we should, as a buyer, we should also look at how we could be a better partner to really facilitate that, you know, relationship. So, as for 511, we try to be very transparent in terms of the com- communication. And a lot of time, we, we try to be, put ourselves into vendors' shoes, especially during this pandemic. It's a very challenging time. And while we are asking a vendor to do more, on the other hand, how we could really help vendor to also sail through this difficult time along with us and not just looking at the taking all the advantage. I think what you're saying is really important. And in a sense, it's the foundation for any kind of a good relationship, whether it be between a buyer and a vendor, whether it be within the office, whether it be personal relationships. It's really about mutual respect, communication, both sides being a bit flexible. So I think that's important. And I think it's something that probably we don't hear enough about or we hear about it, but we don't really see it being applied as much as we probably should be, particularly, as you said, in challenging times like this. 
And really what we try to do is to give a win-win relationship there. Like a price is really not the only factor for us when it comes to selecting vendors. I think that's an important point also, because as we all know, it really has for decades been a matter of chasing price. And we're now starting to see that evolution where, of course, price is always a factor, but people are equally chasing speed or quality or product innovation. And that requires of collaboration and like uh, the trust relationship to, to deliver. The trust is very critical also, and, and that ties into your point earlier about transparency. So just one more question. What's the next step for 511? Where is the brand evolving? Actually, like I say, our brand, our global audience is growing. And we actually are attracting those who want to be prepared for the life's uh, most uh, demanding missions. The world changing and definitely we are in a different place. What we realize is 511 has already built an incredible tactical brand, right? That serves those who serve around the globe, the first responder, the law enforcement. And over the course of these last few years, we believe 511 is more than just a brand for professionals. We believe we have the brand ability to help people who want to always be ready. And we could attract a broader or more diversified consumer base to our brand. And then this including like a, traditionally we have a very strong men's collection, but now we also see there's more men's and women's who are into functional fitness and physical training and outdoor adventure, off-roading, hiking and fishing. And those are all our potential target consumer where we see the expanding of our market. You've taken what was purpose-built for, as you said, people who are first responders, people in that professional service sector, and you've taken the durability qualities and the functional qualities of your brand, and you've, in a sense, translated into collections for consumers who are doing what you might call, I don't want to say extreme sports, because that's not really the right word, but sports that involve more of those properties, as you pointed to, off-road, fishing, hiking, etc., and even no rent shooting. These are the challenging, seeking and achievement oriented consumers. And they really like a adventure. Wow, so exciting. It's, it's great to see that the brand is expanding and that you're doing really well. This has been, like you said, it's a very challenging time and a lot of brands have not survived. So the fact that 511 is able to thrive, to grow, to expand, this is really very impressive. Yes. Vivian, thank you so much for being on a seat at the table. It's been so interesting to hear everything that 511 is doing. I think that there's such a craving in the market for things that are new and also things that are high quality. So it's great to hear that you are addressing that challenge. Yes, thank you for having me here, Jen. It's been my pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode of A Seat at the Table, Join me each week when I sit down with leading executives, entrepreneurs, educators, and authors who share their insights, experiences, and future vision for business. And make sure to check out Spin Expo. From trend information to technical innovation, Spin Expo is the primary exhibition for yarns and knitwear. The fair provides well-edited forums featuring high-quality products that are bursting with creativity. To learn more, go to spinexpo.com. That's www.spinexpo.com.
S-P-I-N-E-X-P-O.com. You can also find a link in the show notes for this episode. And don't forget to check out our podcast website, where you can find all of the previous episodes of the Seat at the Table podcast, the show notes, news about our upcoming Masterclass series, plus lots of other useful information. You can find it at seat.fm. That's www.seat.fm. FM because it's a podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Jane Singer, and I'll see you in the next podcast episode. Music